The following sermon is by Dan Thomas, pastor and teacher at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. And now, here is Pastor Dan Thomas. Praising you this day, Father, for we are never alone, and uh, in the battle, you're there. Uh, may we lean in now. May, will your spirit please convict us, convince us of the truths we look at today? I pray in your name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. I'll uh, take my little table here. It's my only feat of strength for the day, so don't get excited. There's no more coming like that. Okay, just let me make sure we're wired and ready to go. Anybody here have a, uh, have a secret? You, got a, you have any type of like a secret life? You know, like, I don't mean like an extra family in Missouri. Hopefully nobody has anything like that. But you have uh, maybe, um, I, I don't know. Uh, we used to do this thing when we'd get together in church groups where they'd say, you know, write down something that nobody would know about you. And then you had to try to guess the thing. I just remember that one time, Francis and I, our favorite story of that was there was a lady, honestly, if she had written down, I grew up in an Amish family, you'd have thought, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, you'd have guessed her. But she had written down, I used to be a belly dancer. <laughs> and uh, needless to say, nobody got that one right. Uh, it was their guess, everybody else who would never have quite pictured that. I remember at that particular party, my wife and I, our secret, which we should keep hidden because it may cause you to lose respect for us, but our secret was that we were really into uh, watching wrestling on TV. Uh, now, if you are now, <laughs> I don't mean to make fun of you, but um, we had really, and this is back in the days of uh, Randy Macho Man Savage, yeah, and the Hulk Hogan and these different ones like that, but we, we made it like a ritual. It was, I think it was on Saturday nights after the news, which we haven't even stayed up that late in years, but, uh, but we used to stay up and watch that every week as if it was, you know, a religious experience in our life before we got ready for, for church, which is really incredibly sad but that we did that. But I remember my favorite group or my favorite tag team of all time. Okay, it was, a, it was two guys called the Bushwhackers. Okay, you, you remember those? They were classic, weren't they? Uh, they'd come in and they'd do this little march and they had their little machetes and they were the Bushwhackers, okay? Uh, I actually want you today in some way or some small way, I want you to see Jesus. This is going to sound weird, but I want you to see Jesus as a Bushwhacker. I want you to see Jesus cutting his way through the jungle ahead of us. Okay, clearing out the path and making a way for us. Because we're gonna, as we look here at Hebrews chapter 2 and look at these verses, we're going to see Jesus blazing a trail. There's a phrase in, or in the subtitle for this section here. They say that he is the founder of our faith or of our salvation, the founder of salvation. Or you might have a translation that says that he is the author of salvation. But that word, author, founder, uh, when you study it, it's incredibly powerful. It's really, it can also be translated champion. He is the champion, okay? He is the pioneer that makes it his way through. That, that's what we're going to look at today. And I want you to see, I want you to leave here knowing that Jesus has been down a path ahead of you, that he has cut the way, and he has cut the way to, through two things, suffering and death. So if you can remember that, that Jesus, and when I think about the other in the fire. Hopefully you know that's a reference to the uh, story in the Old Testament of the three Hebrew children. But I also just want you to see that Jesus blazes a trail through suffering and death. 
Sound pretty good, doesn't it? And it is. We're going to look through the verses uh, one at a time, really uh, uh, go through them together, and then, uh, and then make a, th- a couple conclusions here at the end. So let's go ahead and jump into our first verse here. Verse number five of chapter two says, For it was not to the angels that, uh, hold on a second here, you might remember this. Okay, last week we looked at the whole idea that God said that Jesus is higher than the angels. The way of the angels was through the law. The way of, they gave the law. That was what they were about. Uh, Jesus is through the gospel, and he wants you to know that the gospel is better than the law. So he wanted to know that Jesus is higher than the angels. Well, he took a little four-verse break from that at the beginning of chapter 2 and talked about the whole idea, remember, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? And he kind of explained why that was important. And now here he goes back, and he says, it wasn't to the angels that God subjected the world to come. The world to come. The world where, uh, where Christ's reign is complete. Okay? Where it is completely realized. Of which we are speaking, it has been testified somewhere. Now let me go to what is testified somewhere in verse number 6 here. Because it's almost kind of funny that the author says, ah, I heard this somewhere. Because this verse, some of you recognize it. Any, anybody know where that is? A quote? Job? I thought somebody would know. Uh, you're, you're, you're making me a laugh. Psalm, thank you. Eight. It is Psalm 8. Okay, Psalm 8, kind of a famous passage there. I thought some of you might have it memorized. I know that back then many had it memorized. Okay, the Jewish believers whom this letter is, or th- this is written to definitely knew this verse. Okay, so when he says, somewhere I read, it'd be kind of like me saying, you know, walking up here and saying, somewhere I saw we're supposed to be six feet apart. <laughs> yeah, uh, everywhere. Uh, every message in store, every note on every door, it, it's everywhere. So, so there, somewhere, we've we got to get this, okay? So he says, somewhere this is in there. It's almost funny that he says it like that. But he says, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than, uh, I'm sorry, for a little while lower than the angels. And have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection to his feet. Now, what we'll see in this passage, he quotes this from Psalm 8. And you may be familiar with this passage. You thought, man, that's awesome that God cares about me. Even though this is God who created the universe, he still cares about me. That's just an awesome truth to hold on to. But I also want you to see that in this passage, although he is talking about mankind, he is also talking about the ultimate man, Jesus Christ. And we'll see this and why this is in this passage. Now, let's go a little further. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. Uh-oh, this phrase is going to be hard to digest here. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him. Okay, now this is an idea that keeps coming up. And it's a little scary here. I mean, it's a little hard for us to deal with because, again, you know, I've said this over the last couple of weeks. I am up here proclaiming that Jesus Christ is large and in charge, that he rules over everything. And we look at a world and we say, yeesh, yeesh. Um, I was uh, driving uh, one of the school buses this week, and I pulled into over at Eel Lake with the kids on there. And uh, the driver beside me was trying to get my attention, honking a horn, and finally got out and banged on the door. And I was kind of talking to a couple of kids behind me, and she, she comes around. She says, there are two kids at the back of your bus tearing each other apart. <laughs> so, so, okay. I uh, wasn't quite paying attention to that. It turned out they were brothers. You know, I just kind of let brothers go. But, uh, they, uh, but they, they, they were having a good time. But she got on there, and, you know, it's a little embarrassing for, uh, because I felt like, You know, it was kind of like she was saying, is anybody in charge here? (laughs) Is anybody running this show? Because it looks pretty chaotic. But I think oftentimes we look at life 
and just what's going on in the world, and we say, wait a minute, is anybody running this show? Jesus is on the throne, but his enemies are not yet under his feet. And therefore, we look and we say, what is going on now? But he could, he could do, uh, put them under his feet. He has chosen not to. He could be reigning like that. He could come back, set everything straight, but he has chosen not to. But in that, we have a little bit of a hard time because we wait, and so does he. And we wonder why. And the harder things get, the more we wonder, God, when are you going to set this right? When are you going to straighten this out? So we struggle through this a little bit, but I think in our text we will find some of the reasons why God is waiting. Or we'll be able to understand it just a little bit better. Now, we see him who for a little while, short time, he was made a little lower than the angels, uh, and this is Jesus, namely Jesus. Okay, for a short time, when he came to earth, his incarnation starts at Christmas. Uh, when he came to earth, he was made a little lower than the angels. That's that phrase describing human. He took human form. Okay? He is crowned with glory and honor because, how did he get to this place where he's in this exalted position? Because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might ta taste death for everyone. He suffered death to bring us life, okay? And he wants us to know this grace. Now, let me continue along with this theme as we look at verse number 10. For it is fitting, okay, it just makes sense. For the one whom created everything, the one by whom all things exist, is bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder, there's that phrase, the founder, make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Okay, it says, okay, it just makes sense. God created everything. It would make sense that he created this plan of redemption. It would make sense that he fulfilled it. And through suffering, he completed it. When you see that word perfect and you say, well, it's going to make Jesus perfect. I thought Jesus already was perfect. Yes, he was always perfect. You may know this. In the Bible, when you see that word perfect, it often means complete. And he is going to complete his mission. He is going to complete the mission of redeeming the world. And he is going to do that through suffering. Hold on a second. He is going to accomplish our salvation through suffering. Don't miss that. For he who sanctifies makes holy, and those who have been made holy all have one source. And this is why he is not ashamed to call us brothers. He adopts us into his family. Now, the next few verses I want to look at, I'm going to warn you a little bit ahead of time. If you were just reading through this passage in Scripture, I think you would be like I was at first when I read it and thought, huh? I'm not sure exactly why that's in there. He's going to quote a few Old Testament passages, one from Psalms and a couple from the book of Isaiah. And I think uh, when I first read it, I was like, okay, <laughs> why did he quote those? I, I wasn't real sure. Uh, I, I believe, again, that the Hebrew people that he wrote to would have been incredibly familiar with these texts. To them, they would, have been, they would have got it right away. For us, it takes a little bit. It's a little bit hard to figure. The first thing that he, he does is he quotes from Psalm 22, one of, if not the most messianic chapters in Scripture in the Old Testament that prophesied of Jesus' coming. In fact, chapter 22 begins with the words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You may be familiar, those are the words of Jesus on the cross. Okay, but I tell you uh, of your name to be my brothers. Remember, he talked about the fact that he's going to make us his brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Now again, just reading that there, it's like, okay, where'd that fit? But this is a transitional verse in, ch in chapter 22 of Psalms. It goes from the suffering to, if you want to say, the victory of the cross and redemption. And he, he's kind of saying that it, through this suffering, again, redemption is brought. Now, it gets a little bit more confusing when he starts to uh, quote Isaiah. 
Because then he, he pulls out here and he says, and again, this is Isaiah, he's quoting him. He says, I will put my trust in him. This was written at a time in Isaiah's life when he had prophesied, when he had preached, and he had warned people, and they weren't listening. So he went and he wrote down all the things he had prophesied, and he sealed them up basically to put them aside and say, hey, someday I'm going to bring these out and say, I told you so. I told you judgment was coming. Uh, and, but we understand, again, you know, it takes us kind of down into this place of uh, you know, difficulty, which God is, but in the midst of this difficulty, Isaiah is proclaiming, yes, there's hard times, but in the midst of those hard times, I will trust in you. But look at the next verse. It gets a little weirder here. And then why does he throw this in here? Behold, I am, I'm sorry, I am the children of God that you gave me. Okay, so he's just said, I'm going to trust in the Lord. He said, me and my children. Now, you might understand that in Isaiah, that he talked about his children, but why is this quoted here? Why are we mentioning his children? Now, many of you, of course, know the names of Isaiah's children. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I had no clue. But here they are. You ready? Ready for this? I'm going to do my best. Mahir Shalazbaz. Shalazbaz. Mahir Shalazbaz. That's just one. That's not both of them. Mahir Shalazbaz. And the other one's name was Shahir Jabez. Okay, you know, you ever wonder why some names of the Bible catch on and people name their kids that, you know, Esther and Hannah and, and things like that, or even Abraham and Joshua. These names have never caught on. I, I do not understand, but I will promise you right now, if Francis and I have twins, their names will be Mahir Shalazbaz and Shahir Jabez. Uh, I promise you that's good. We'll, we'll shorten them up, make them four syllables instead of five. And, and, but uh, there is a significance to these names. That first name means judgment is coming, and the second name means the remnant will return. And again, you have this idea of through suffering and through hard times and stuff like that, God is going to bring. He started talking about bringing his children with him. So God is through this suffering, through the hard times, through the judgment, through the cross, God is going to return a remnant. God is going to bring back these children. Now, that, that was pretty deep. We're, we're going to get simpler here, I think, in a minute here. So stay with me if I lost you at all. But through the suffering, God is going to bring sons. Keep that in mind as we go to the next verse. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. Why did he partake of the same things? Why did he take on human form? That through death, okay, this, if you're a highlighter, you, you want to remember these verses. That through death, he might destroy the one who has the power over death, that is the devil. I'm sorry, that, that, you've got, you got to get excited about that there. Through his death, he would destroy the one who has the power over death. And deliver all, listen to this, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? We don't have to live in the fear of death. You say, well, a healthy respect for death. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. But we don't have to live in this fear of death that keeps so many in slavery because he has defeated death. He's been through it. He blazed the trail through it. He bushwhacked his way through it and defeated it. In the book of Job, chapter 18, verse 14, one of Job's accusers by the name of Bildad called death the king of terrors. I think that's probably pretty accurate. I mean, most, most of us, if we're honest, there is somewhat of a fear of death. You might remember the Woody Allen quote. He said, I'm not really afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. And maybe you, you remember that. And that kind of sums it up sometimes. You know, when, yeah, uh, I'm not afraid of death until you start uh, kind of applying it to me here. 
But, you know, the Scripture teaches us, and if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it's kind of a parallel passage to this there, and it talks about the day when Jesus does put all his enemies under his feet, and he says it's kind of like the enemies are lined up and they're all put under Jesus' feet and he's going to end it all. Do you know who the last enemy is? Death. Even death itself is squashed under his feet. So all this is coming that this that these is going to be defeated. But we live now in a fear of death a lot of, a lot of times. Um, I looked up, you know, kind of the psychological reasons people are afraid of death because of the lack of control. I don't know when it's going to happen. You know, I'm going to lose control with, with this. It's, it's, it's not in my hands. People are afraid of death because of the incompleteness, you know, kind of like I, I had more to do in life. You know, I don't want death to come because I'm not done. I, I, um, people are afraid of death because of separation from a loved one. You know, I don't want to leave so-and-so behind. I, I don't want that to happen. People are very afraid of death because of the unknown. But what the scripture tells us here is that we can be done because of what Jesus did, and we're going we're gonna to unpack this in a second, but because of what Jesus did, we are no longer to live in the slavery that is the fear of death. Okay? A little bit more, a couple more verses here of this, and then we'll unpack a little bit more. For surely it is not to the angels, throwing them here and there again, that he said, uh, I'm sorry, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. There it is again. He took on human form. Why did he do that? Why did he come? Why did he suffer? So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. Propitiation is our $5 word today. Uh, it's a big word. Basically what that means is that the wrath of somebody who was unjustly wrong is satisfied. Okay, God was unjustly wronged by sin. Jesus satisfied his wrath. He made propitiation. He made atonement for our sin. He did that, took the path of suffering and death to do that. Okay, and let's go on to the next verse. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. Now, some of you are familiar with this idea. Because Jesus took on human form, he was tempted like we are, right? So we think, hey, when I face temptation, temptation, I can lean on him because he knows what it's like to be human and face things. And that's right. But I want you to see it in the context. What is he primarily talking about here? He's talking about death. And he's talking about suffering. And he's saying that Jesus has faced what would be the temptation, if you will, to fear these things, right? And yet he busted through them. He, he's been there. He understands. So he can make it so that we do not have to fear these things too. Pretty good. Okay, now let's, let's do a couple takeaways here. Let's talk about this and the uh, suffering and death, just what he has done here, what, how this changes. First of all, we need to remember that suffering is going to accomplish God's purposes. Okay? Remember, he made a way for us to be forgiven. He made a way for atonement through suffering, and suffering is going to accomplish God's purposes. Uh, a few years ago, we had a friend that um, attended Notre Dame from China. He was an exchange student, and he became friends with Francis and I. And uh, I said a few years ago, it was probably in the neighborhood of 25 years ago. About 10 years after that, he called us up one day, and he said, hey, I'm back in town. I'm back from China. I got married. I wanted to show my wife Notre Dame. Uh, where I went to school, and he said, I wonder if we could get together. And he came over, and his wife still spoke a rather broken English, but we had, we had a great dinner with them and everything. And in the course of the conversation, she told us that her grandfather was a pastor in China. 
So, you know, me, foot in mouth Dan, uh, right away, oh, great, your grandfather, boy, I'd love to meet him. And she kind of dropped her head, and she said, well, he got killed for being a pastor in China. Uh, they had arrested him. They had put him in prison, and he died there in prison in China. She said he gave his life as a martyr. I was looking this week um, at a website that's called Open Doors. They put out a list of the 100 hardest places in the world to be a Christian. Uh, what makes the always towards the top of the list most years number one is a little country called North Korea, okay, where if you are a Christian, about one in every 10,000 people is a Christian, but they, uh, if you are a Christian, you are in danger of being arrested and put in a work camp where they would basically work you to death, okay, and the numbers of Christians is going down because they're dying in these work camps. That's why they're put there. But I went down and read about some of the other countries and about people that in their country, if they named the name of Christ, if they were to be baptized like this, they'd be drug out into the streets and executed. And this happens in our world today. And we look sometimes and we say, you know, why? And, you know, even I was thinking about this. Um, as we go through the book of Acts, my heart is like, man, I wish we would see some of these things that happen in the book of Acts, the revival and the Spirit of God and people getting saved and baptized. I think the Apostle Paul might say, uh, yeah, you, you like that. Do you also want to be uh, in prison? Do you also want to be running for your life? Do you also want to be ha having to hide your faith? Because that's also the things that the early church went through. And this is the type of things that they're facing. But in all this, as I think about this whole idea of God's purposes, as I was reading through these people in other countries and what they experienced because of their faith in Christ, there's a total diff totally different dynamic to their prayer life. In America, when we face hard times, well, how do we pray? Dear God, take away the hard times. Put an end to this. The article, our articles that I read said around the world there's a very different approach. They do not say, dear God, take away the hard times. They say, Lord, make us strong enough to bear up under this because we know that the suffering is a tool in your hand. Okay? Now, this is, you know, this is not, hey, popular message, great. But, uh, but it is, a, I believe, exactly true that God has his purposes in suffering. But there's a second idea that I don't want you to miss from this. One of the other reasons we could say that God is waiting to put an end to all the difficulty, to put an end to the suffering, is giving people an opportunity to repent. Now listen to this statement and see how this sits. Temporary suffering of God's children is worth giving eternal life to the lost. The temporary suffering of God's children is worth giving eternal life to the lost. Now, if you look at that statement and you say, yeah, I'm not sure I agree with that one, may I remind you of the cross? and the suffering of God's own dear son so that we could experience his grace. And as we enter into his suffering and experience this life as it is, it allows others the time to receive God's grace too. Let me show you another verse that, or a few verses here in the book of Peter that's worth a notice. Do not be overlook this one fact. Uh, don't forget this. Oh, by the way, Peter was, more than any of the other epistles, Peter wrote to persecuted people. Okay, that is the theme of his writing is holding up under hard times because they were very persecuted. He says this, the Lord, I'm sorry, that with the Lord one day is this a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. Okay, just remember that phrase for a second. Some people say, oh, that means God created the world in millions and millions of years because that day is like a thousand years. If you want to believe that, we can politely disagree. But this phrase does not mean that. 
All it is saying is that God's perception of time, time is totally different than ours, okay? Because God doesn't really have time, okay? If I spend 10 minutes talking to Steve, that 10 minutes, I, can, I hate to say this, Steve, but that's 10 minutes of my life I'm never going to get back. Uh, hopefully it was well spent because, you know, did you ever leave a situation and think, well, that's an hour I'm never going to get back? God never says that. God is eternal. God does not have the same view, if you will, of time because God doesn't really have time. That's what it's saying here. So then it says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness. But he is patient towards you. Hold on a second. God is not slow. Apparently, the, crowd, the group is persecuted. He's writing to. And they're like, come on, God. Come on, God. We're tired of waiting here for you to answer your promises. And we've been in that same situation. Come on, God. Wait. Well, the apostle Peter writes and he says, God is not slow concerning his promises. Here's what he is. He is patient towards you. Because he's not wishing that any would perish, but that you would receive repentance. I thought about this, and I just thanked the Lord for a minute that he did not return and formalize, establish his kingdom in the year of 1975. You say, why not? Because I wasn't saved yet. Okay? I'm glad that there was time for me still to repent. And if you are here today without the knowledge of Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I hope that... Uh, <laughs> There will be some thankfulness that you still live in a day of reconciliation. You still live in a day when we can come to God, uh, Jesus Christ, as Savior, asking him to forgive us. So God, you know, we look and we say, come on, God. Come on, God. What, you know, what, what's going on? Why the suffering? One, remember God is accomplishing his purpose. But two, I want us to also remember that it's giving people an opportunity to repent. Now let's move over from suffering to death for a second here. The first thing that we find here is that his death makes our death less scary. Okay? For one thing, he removes the uncertainty. Okay? I know that I know that I know that Jesus Christ died for my sins, that I've trusted him. And he said uh, that with that, those who believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I know that. It removes the uncertainty of death. And he had promised then that he would, you know, bring many sons to the glory. This is what he came to accomplish. This is his purpose, that he would add children to his kingdom. And I know this. I hold on to this. So he, he wipes out the uncertainty, or he, or he removes that. Definitely makes death less scary. But the other thing that we know because of this, that in death we will never be alone. And also, that it is not final. But there is something in us, and I, I think it's a good thing, but when we know a loved one, and, and I, I know many have traveled this road lately, so I, I debated even sharing this because it might be a little hard, but when we know a loved one, there's something inside of us when we know that they're getting ready to leave this earth, we want to be by them. You, you know what I mean? I, I've told the story of when my mom was dying. I, I figured it was going to be sometime in the night, so I went home to get you know, a sleeping bag and stuff. And when I came back, uh, she'd already passed away. I wasn't there. Uh, my wife and, and daughter were there with her. But you know, and it's kind of, now mom didn't even know who was there or who wasn't. But still, I was kind of like, oh, man, I, was, I wasn't there. You know, I wanted to be there. And I know in recent months, many people have faced having somebody that they love and care about pass away, and they were not able to be there. Okay, I know, and, and I know that is incredibly painful. That, that's very hard. So I wanted to bring to your attention the fact that those who know Jesus Christ are never alone. They were not alone in death. God was there. 
Come on. Welcoming them. And I, and I hope that will quiet some of even the regrets that you may have because of that. Realizing that with his presence, fear is taken away. We are never alone, and death is never final. It's kind of a weird thing to say, but we realize we're all terminal, right? And death comes to all. And yet we can look at it with incredible hope. I brought uh, the last of the Chronicles of Narnia series. Okay, this is book number seven, C.S. Lewis's work. Some of you might be familiar with the stories. Uh, I think a few movies uh, got out there that uh, you may have watched. And you may remember that the lion in the story, voiced by Liam Neeson uh, in, the, in the movies, but uh, the lion in the story was a picture of Christ. And um, here's the very last page of the whole series. C.S. Lewis wrote this. Then Aslan turned to them and said, to the voice of the lion, you do not look so happy as I mean you to be. And Lucy, I think she was the little one that always spoke up, said, we're so afraid of being sent away, Aslan. <laughs> you have sent us back into our own world so often. No fear of that, said Aslan. Have you not guessed? Their hearts leaped with a wild hope and, and, that rose within them. The king continued, there was a real railway accident. Your father, your mother, and all of you are, as they used to say in the Shadowlands, dead. <laughs> the term is over. The holiday has begun. The dream is ended. This is morning. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion, but the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. For for us, this is the end of the story, and we can truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had been but a cover, but a title page. Now at last is the real beginning, chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, and in which every chapter is better than the one before. That's awesome, isn't it? That's awesome, isn't it? Jesus bushwhacked his way, if you will, cut his way, blazed a trail through suffering. Okay, so as we go through it, he goes along with us. And well, actually, he's been there ahead of us. He walks us through it. He's been there. And he accomplishes his purpose through this suffering. And we wonder why God so long. And part of the reason, I think, is that God is giving others a chance to repent because God views this suffering, this temporal suffering, as worth it that others may know eternal life. But then we get into, we look at death. And God says, <laughs> all this stuff you got going on here, it's a cover page. You got it? It's just, it's just that's all it is. The real story begins, the story of eternal life, and every stinking chapter gets better than the one before as we walk through eternity with him. So a couple of weeks ago, we introduced the book of Hebrews with the theme that Jesus is better than anything that we would leave to follow him. And last week, we focused particularly on the idea that Jesus is better than the angels for their, they gave the law, but Jesus gave the gospel of grace. Today... I hope you'll praise the champion, okay? The champion of our faith, the founder, the author of our faith. I hope you'll praise the one who has blazed the trail through suffering and death.
And mostly, I hope you know him. I uh, told the guys in worship team that did an extra song earlier, and I gave them some time off at the end. So we're not going to sing at the end. So I thought I'd do a special number. Uh, some of you have heard me sing, and you know that's a joke. But I, I will go out of here proclaiming again. You know, I, I was thinking last week as, as I was sitting here, you were singing uh, Fear. Uh, fear is a liar. And when I first thought about it, I, mean, I was over there analyzing a little bit. And I thought, okay, that, that song doesn't really focus, you know, attention on God too much and, and doesn't proclaim any truth. And I thought, maybe we need to review and not sing that. But then I thought, man, what a bold proclamation to make and how much that is needed at this time. Fear is a liar. And God has come to deliver us from that bondage of fear so we're not living in it. I love that. And this week, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep singing, There is Another in the Fire. Okay? And as I go through this mess, this temporary, this cover page to the book, as I go through this, there's another with me. And he has blazed a trail. He has cut through the entanglements uh, and the things that, that would trap us. And he has blazed away to eternal life in Jesus Christ. You'd think that would be like a fun message to preach. It really was. I, I, get, I get so excited on Sunday morning. I'm like, but, I, but I always feel like, God, I, this is so, so good. I so much. I thought, I was praying this morning that those of you that are listening uh, online, I, I thought, God, could you eliminate distractions today? I so much want people to get this. Okay? There's so much fear right now permeating our lives. There's so many things defeating us. Lord, could, could we grab onto this truth today? Lord, would your Holy Spirit take it in a way that I never could and just proclaim it to hearts and lives today? I hope you can walk out singing, boy, there is another in the fire. There has one who has been down this road and cut a path through it. I am so thankful that I can walk with him and we can walk with him through faith. God can't get to heaven on my own. I'm not good enough. I believe in Jesus Christ. He came, took on human flesh, laid down his life, paid the price for my sin and said, believe in me. And whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Awesome stuff. Okay, now without a song at the end, it's kind of like, okay, you're dismissed, get up. Uh, we're going to pray, and then we're going to go. But, uh, but be ready with some music so there's not dead silence in here. That'll be awkward, okay? Uh, and, and we're going to go. If there's anything, any questions you have about our church, uh, seeing a couple of visitors here, uh, I will be more than uh, glad to, to talk to you even today. I don't think I have any appointments afterwards, so I'm just hanging around. And uh, I'll be up here in the front if anybody... Um, yeah, has any questions or anything you want to talk about, especially that king who has blazed the trail through death. Father, first of all, thank you for the privilege of proclaiming this truth today. And Lord, it's a, I confess, well, man, when I first read this passage this week, I was kind of like, what's there, God? You know, is, it, is this the sermon for the week? I didn't know what was there. Your spirit taught me what was there. Lord, would you do the same for everybody else? If, if my teaching has confused anybody, Lord, would you just show them, <laughs> would you show them that through your death, death is defeated, and we don't have to live in the continual fear of it. That through your death, through your suffering, you brought grace to us. Yeah, can we leave clinging to and rejoicing in that truth, I pray, in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to Pastor Dan Thomas of Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church.
You may also contact the church via email info at edwardsburg.church or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.